It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. I believe this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity is going to change your day because it's going to change your heart and your perspective. Why would I think that? Because it's changed my way of looking at life and looking at others and my way of looking at God and my expectations of Him. So I pray that transformation will pass right along to you. The Bible declares in James chapter 2, verse 13, that mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, it's more healing, it's more powerful in the end result than judgment. And that's true with respect to the expression of God's character toward us and the expression of God's character through us. Mercy triumphs. And I believe as we focus on that, we'll become more like our Heavenly Father because He creates new expressions of mercy with every new day. The Scripture says in Lamentations, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Think of that. With the dawning of every day comes new expressions of mercy created in the heart of our Heavenly Father toward us. He is ready to manifest mercy in our lives and through our lives. Now, the last two programs leading up to this one have focused on Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. This says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath, fitted for destruction or prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory? I believe God endures vessels of wrath but he enjoys vessels of mercy. He enjoys interacting with you, and he enjoys using you. What is mercy? Two things. Number one, it is kindness expressed toward those who are hurting, those who are damaged, and those who are deprived, and doing something about it. Number two, Mercy is compassion shown especially to offenders, those who are guilty of criminal behavior, which includes the whole human race because we've committed the crime of disregarding God's laws. Believers are not only named vessels of mercy, which means we're recipients of the Savior's tender compassions, but we are called to be the merciful, expressing his compassion to others. And this is essential to our survival in this world. It's essential to your survival in all the relationships you have in your family, at your job, in your community, in your church. 
Mercy rejoices against judgment in all of those arenas. I love Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's one of our primary foundation scriptures today. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Did you hear that? He requires this. Three things, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justly means to be a person who exhibits justice in your relationships. You treat people fairly by looking at things from every direction. You're not quick to make a judgment. You judge righteous judgments. You do justly. And you love mercy. There's a difference between expressing mercy because you feel obligated and actually loving mercy, loving the feeling that comes in your heart when you reach down and help someone who's crushed by life, who's devastated by disappointments, who's ripped to shreds by their own failures and their own self-condemnation and guilt. And you reach down like Jesus did when he knelt down next to the adulterous woman and you say, I don't condemn you. Let me help you rise up again and try once more to live life to the fullest. That takes a unique kind of individual who has experienced the mercy of God usually, because when you see him, you become like him. And if you know him as a merciful God, you tend to become merciful toward others. It's really a serious matter because the entirety of James 2.13 says this, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. So this is a serious matter. Judgment is without mercy to those who show no mercy. And so if you are reluctant to be merciful toward others, and listen, mercy is all mixed in with grace. And grace means loving the unlovable, loving the unlovely, loving the unloving. Not just loving people that deserve your love, or it's not grace anymore. And grace and mercy are met together. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. I have a question for you. Would you want God to judge you without mercy entering into the picture at all? Would you really dare to even ask for that? If your answer is no, then the best road to walk is a road paved with mercy for others. Because then, I don't like to use the word obligates, but it really fits here. It obligates God to show mercy to you because of the law he has in place. Whatever you sow, you shall also reap. In 2 Samuel twenty two twenty six, the Bible says, With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. And that's, of course, directed to God. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. Maybe I need to search through my database in my memory of people I've been somewhat bitter against and see if I can find a way of expressing mercy if in no other way in my thoughts and in my prayers. Hmm. No wonder 
Proverbs 11:17 says, "The merciful man does good to his own soul." Listen, when you bless people that don't deserve your blessing, you are blessing yourself. The merciful man does good for his own soul. Your soul is the abode of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And if you want healing in your emotional and mental area of existence, then be merciful to others. It will bring healing to you internally. The next part of that scripture says, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Go ahead and have cruel attitudes and actions toward others, and it's going to come right back on you. Have you ever noticed that the Beatitudes are progressive? That it's one step after the other leading to a very important place of God-likeness. And let me go through them quickly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to recognize that you are bankrupt in Adam and in absolute need of God. That's step number one. Step number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that's primarily talking about mourning over your sin, being remorseful and repentant, and God will comfort you. Then number three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek toward God and to be meek toward others is our goal, and that means you're quick to repent and quick to forgive. Step four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled with what? Filled with the character of God, the Spirit of God, the nature of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, you're filled with righteousness as a result. God's very righteousness poured into you, especially in the new covenant. But with that righteousness comes his goodness, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his joy, his peace, his wisdom, his knowledge. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But step number five is a very important step. Because righteousness turns into rigid religion without the next step. I've met many people who achieved a place of real righteousness in their life that became harsh religiously as a result. And it wasn't a good thing. It was no longer a prayerful, passionate way of serving God and responding worshipfully to God. It became a means, an egotistical means of lording over others. But step number five balances that out because the fifth beatitude is blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And the word blessed means happy, supremely happy, enriched with benefits, spiritually prosperous, highly favored of God, and one who attains qualities of character God considers to be the highest good. So mercifulness is one of the characteristics God considers to be the highest good. And when you marry righteousness with mercy and mingle the two together, it takes you to step number six, beatitude number six. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's the greatest promise up to that point. 
And that's not just talking about seeing God in the afterlife. I believe it's talking about seeing God manifest himself in significant ways right here, right now in this present world. And I want to see God move in my life. I want to see God move in my family's lives. I want to see God move through the ministry. I want to see God do phenomenal, supernatural, divinely powerful things to change the world around me. And the best way to do that is mix righteousness and mercy, and those two ingredients produce a pure heart, and you will see God. And the next, the very next beatitude is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. In other words, people will recognize your spiritual DNA, so to speak that when you become a peacemaker, you go into a war-torn world, ripped to shreds by the dark powers that try to dominate this planet and people's lives destroyed, but you go out as a peacemaker, bearing righteousness and mercy, doing justly and loving mercy and reconciling others to God, then people recognize as you produce peace in their lives that you must be related to the Prince of Peace, who has come into your heart and into your life. One last thing I want to bring out that I believe is just fantastically insightful. In the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gave some pretty tough stipulations of living a spiritual life. He said, I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, give him the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Huh? What? And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise, the golden rule. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Another version says, what grace do you practice? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? What grace do you practice? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. In other words, be extremely generous, abundantly compassionate toward others. Lynn, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is thankful, he is kind, rather, to the unthankful and to the evil. He makes his son rise on the just and on the unjust, right? And the next line says, therefore, it's a summary of everything that's just been said. It's the completion of the thought. Therefore, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's connected to a parallel passage, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. It's said a little bit differently. 
Jesus completes that passage by saying, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In Luke's account, Luke 6.36, he says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. But in Matthew's account, he says, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. I believe the two run parallel because the sign of perfection is how you treat those who are imperfect. And that is married to your ability to show mercy where it is least deserved. That's the sign of perfection. No wonder two times Jesus quoted Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He did that. He made that statement to Pharisees that hated him, that wanted to catch him in a fault, and every time they could or thought they could, he would respond with something that was a character-building statement. Usually, they were not receptive to it. But for instance, when he was eating at a feast with Matthew in his home, and Matthew's the one that recorded this because he was the recipient of the good that Jesus did with respect to this, Matthew was a tax collector. And the Pharisees came there and said, why does your master eat with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus heard it. And he said, those that are sick need a physician. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for those who are sick. And then he said, and listen to it closely, he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then a few chapters later in Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field on the Sabbath day, and they plucked the heads of grain and began to eat. And the Pharisees said, your disciples are doing something that's not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. Well, God never said that, but they expanded the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy to include some of their own man-made commandments and rules. Religious, rigid religiosity that turns into hateful attitudes toward other people usually. And they were uh, condemning toward the disciples and said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, haven't you read how David, when he was hungry, and those that were with him went into the house of God and ate the showbread, which is only to be eaten by the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say unto you, in this place there's one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, there are certain times where he bends the rule because he takes everything into consideration. I believe we need to become more like Jesus. And instead of being rigid, religious people who are quick to judge and condemn, let's be the merciful that delight in mercy. We endure a lot of things we have to face in life but we love mercy. We enjoy expressing mercy. And people will recognize we are the children of our Heavenly Father.
Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.